This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast, our annual Futures Game edition coming to you from Miami, Florida, Marlins Park, as we sit above uh, Florida, just wrapping things up right after the Futures game. Uh, we do this every year and kind of battle the all-star celebrity softball game, but it was an interesting Futures game. 7-6, the U.S. gets the win over the world after the world snapped that six-game losing streak a year ago. So they get the win, and the story early on, at least, was certainly the pitching for the U.S., yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like, Jonathan, we saw this in Arizona, too. I mean, Brent Honeywell, you put him in one of these games, he dominates at the Fall Stars game. He started, struck out five top 100 prospects in two innings. Today he starts, strikes out four top 100 prospects in two innings, gets Alex Verdugo with a screwball. Kind of, he has one of the few screwballs in the minor leagues. He got Amin Rosario with a changeup. He got Eloy Jimenez with a changeup. And he got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I, I think... We're talking about pitching prospects. There are very few prospects in the minor leagues who are better than Brent Honeywell, and there are very few who have as many pitches as he has. Yeah, I think that's what makes him stand out. Uh, I mean, the stuff is plenty good. It was 95, 96, uh, or whatever it was. And, uh, but it's the, the array of pitches, and then he'll use all of them, and he can throw all of them for strikes. And, and then have Michael Kopech come in, like in back of him. Just doesn't almost, almost wasn't fair, and he was as advertised. I think it took him, what, one pitch to get warmed up? 99 and then hit that six triple digit fastballs um and uh you know as long as that guy throws strikes uh it's scary uh it's tough to hit and uh that kind of set the early tone and allowed uh, the u.s to jump out to uh at least to that early big lead even though the world team chipped away jonathan you were doing the game in the broadcast booth so i'm sure you were able to tell the the uh screwball coming from Honeywell we were up here and and Jim's saying nothing says honey we don't have that in the system as far as MLB.com goes but how tricky is that for hitters a pitch that you just don't see much well you know to be honest with you uh, even from doing the game we didn't he he threw a couple of change-ups that moved so much that we thought they were screwballs we had thought he had thrown one I think with the one to, to end the first inning, we thought that was a screwball, but it was, it was actually a changeup. His changeup falls off the table so much and moves so much that it's not like you're just a typical off-speed pitch. So it, it, it was hard. I mean, unless you had a view, like a catcher's view, where you could really see him turning his hand over backwards, uh, it, it was one of those things that was really hard to detect. And he does it, he throws it, but it's not like he throws it so much that you see it over and over again. Kopech wasn't the only one uh, in the triple-digit reign. Tiago Vieira came in late for the world team, uh, the Brazilian, and he throws hard as well. Yeah, he actually threw eight triple-digit pitches, so he topped Kopech in that regard. And top velocity, too, right? Was He was up over a 101? He had a 101, and Kopech had a 101. I have to look to the first decimal place to break the tie. I don't have that in front of me. But, you know, he, he throws plenty hard. It was, it was kind of fun watching that. Uh, Tanner Scott actually also threw... Five triple-digit pitches for the Orioles out of the stretch. He works out of the stretch all the time. Uh, and, and he topped out at 101 as well. 
Yeah, so the pitching was dominant for the U.S. team early. Obviously, the world team got back in it late from 7 nothing to make it 7-6. They got two in the top of the ninth inning, and things got really interesting with the tying run on base. Uh, but the offense for the U.S., there was no real huge home. You know, you, you look forward to maybe the home run, the, that sort of thing. Chance Cisco had, a, had an RBI triple right after a double. Uh, that was off of Cal Quantrill. Um, but it was up and down the lineup, everybody contributing for, for the U.S. team. Yeah, that's why I think when we were debating MVP choices, Honeywell was kind of the obvious choice because there was no one clear standout uh, on the world team. Um, you know, I think Brian Anderson wound up getting a second hit because he stayed in the whole game. But I think each of their starters otherwise had exactly one hit. And, no, you know, Fisher, I think, had a two-run double. It was the only hit that produced multiple runs. So it was up and down the lineup, pretty consistent. But, you know, no home runs today. We, you know, we saw you know, some firepower in, in batting practice but didn't see any home runs during the game. How about the rally for the world team? Anything stand out to you? Obviously, at that point, late in the game, your starting lineup, a lot of those big stars on that team, Mancato and, and, uh, and Rosario and, and guys like that, Devers, were, were kind of moving on and out of the game, and they rally with the other guys. They, they did, and still facing premium arms. It's not like the pitching coming in was you know, uh, not the same. And I mean, Tomas Nito had you know, two opposite field base hits is kind of what he does. Uh, nothing too fancy, kind of inside out and flared one. And he drove in a, a pair of runs. I mean, if you had to re-vote, if they had the world t- taken the lead, um, I'm pretty sure Mauricio Dubon tried to give them a lead that first swing and the first fastball he suffered from, from A.J. Puck. He tried to, to hit the ball out. But uh, you know, they just sort of chipped away slowly. You know, And I think everyone's loose in this game. I don't think there's any question who, you know, about them wanting to win. All you had to see was Ryan McMahon lay out over the railing to make that catch. You know that they, they're trying to win the game, but uh, they didn't stress too much about it. They just kind of slowly chipped away a run here, a run there. Nothing, nothing too crazy. No one hitting the ball out. Not even much in the way of extra base hits, but... Uh, uh, but the, they made it a close game when all said and done. They got one in the fifth, two in the sixth, one in the seventh, and then two in the ninth to make it a seven to six ball game. You mentioned one uh, great defensive play. That was McMahon, who really all out along the first baseline over the railing in the ninth, which ended up to be a huge out. It was the second out of the ninth inning. But if he doesn't make that play, who knows with that rally going on? The other real standout play, I thought, Brendan Rodgers at second base on a scorched one hopper and just the quick play and he just made it look so easy yeah i mean it uh it's one of those plays that you don't even have time to to react you know it was uh, he couldn't move but he showed the what great hands he has and and the funny thing is that uh, josh naylor his next time up facing tanner scott so that 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 rob base hit was uh, you know off of a triple digit uh, fastball and he hit it out i would think the exit velocity was 107 miles an hour. Then he faced Tanner Scott throwing 100 and managed to get it by Brendan Rodgers. I think if Brendan Rodgers had made another great play, Josh Naylor would not have been happy. And you know, not only did McMahon make that play on the foul ball, but he made a nice play on the on the throw to end the game that was you know took him off the base and he was able to get the tag down on on, on Dubon. So uh, a couple of nifty plays for a guy who uh, hasn't even play, been playing first base all that long. He, Started out as a third baseman only. And I know he's a guy that you thought maybe should have been starting the game, maybe as a DH, not at first base, but he ends up being a huge factor late in the game. So that's good managing right there by the uh, by the U.S. team and, and what they got done out there. All right, so as far as Rodgers goes, though, second base, obviously he plays short. We know he could probably play third as well. But what does that show you, Jim, about his versatility around the infield where he kind of needs that just because – we don't know at this point where the spot is going to open up in that Rockies infield. No, you're right. I mean, he, he, it won't be third base just because of Nolan Arenado. But, but, I mean, that's a position I think most people 
thought, or at least a number of people thought, that he might fit at best when they drafted him third overall. But, you know, you have DJ Lemieux at second, you have Trevor Story at short. There's some positives and negatives to both those guys. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the nice thing if you're Brendan Rodgers, the, the bat's going to play whatever position you are. If they have to put him on an outfield corner, he's still going to hit enough. But it was, it was nice to, to see that play. I mean, it was the play of the game. I thought defensively, I mean, McManus was a little bit more dramatic because he almost fell in the dugout, but Rodgers, I thought, had a greater degree of difficulty. Final thoughts on the 2017 Futures game? It, it, it was a weird game just in that it was a 7-6 to six game, but yet it feels like the pitchers stood out more than the hitters. And not that I, I was disappointed, but you just look at the hitters who were in the game. You know, Mankata went 0 for 2. Rosario went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. Uh, you know, Acuna went, you know, after looking great BP, went 0 for 4. And you go, go on and on and on with a number of guys. It's like I, I, for a 7-6 game, I would have thought we would have maybe seen some home, more home runs and more superlative performances from the hitters. It was not the way I guess you'd normally get to a 7-6 to six game. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny because you know when when you do a broadcast, and Jim, you and I have talked about this. It's it's a little hard to actually have scope because you're focusing on uh, on what you're you're doing in the in the booth. And uh, there was a lot going on. I mean, maybe a lot of base runners, and so there was certainly a lot to to talk about. I think certain guys showed off some of their tools. Uh, you know, Lewis Brinson had a, a nice stolen base, and uh, Francisco Mejia actually had a really good pop time on on that throw, but. Uh, so you saw glimpses of that, even if there wasn't that wow moment uh, that we have been fortunate enough to see uh, in this game over the past several years. Unfortunately, over the years, we've seen a lot of blowouts in the Futures game. So it was nice to also see the world team rally a little bit because it looked like it was heading in that direction early on when the U.S. jumped out of the gate and got up 7 nothing. But it was nice to see uh, a game that came down to the ninth inning and you have the tying run on in the ninth inning. A little drama late was certainly good to see as well. All right, before the Futures game went off here on All-Star Sunday, we had the High School Home Run Derby, the fifth annual High School Home Run Derby. Uh, became a bit of a family affair, um, but it was exciting as always, Jonathan, and it's amazing to see the high school kids, even with the uh, composite bats, make a pitcher's park like Marlins Park look small. Well, you know, n- not only was this the best one uh, of these, and I don't maybe the fact that it wasn't at, you know, 5.30 in the morning. Uh, I think they were a little more awake. They were a little more awake. We were a little more awake, uh, you know, uh, Tim. I think you can pat ourselves on the back for probably the the most well-broadcasted high school home run derby. But you know what? Yes, metal bats, fine. But these are kids who are going into their senior year of high school, and they these were not wall scrapers. I mean, we had a ton of upper deck shots. We had balls hit to straightaway center field uh, deep. We had balls hit the statue. I mean, uh, some ridiculous home runs from the high schools and and. Really, all, all the kids did extremely well, and all but one ended up with, with double digits uh, after both rounds. Yeah, Nolan Gorman uh, went 459, which I think was the furthest one in the morning. He actually finished up in second place. Uh, Noah Naylor wins it with 15 home runs and a huge late surge. He hit seven home runs in the first round where they actually had more time, and then he came back to hit eight, most of those in the final minute with his brother, Josh Naylor, who was in the Futures game, of course, both of them out of Ontario, Canada, looking on. There was a hug afterwards. It was a cool moment, uh, and, and the Naylor... 
high school home run derby tradition continues. Yeah, cause I remember when I was at the, the first, I guess, official one, which was at 7 in the morning in Target Field back, uh, I guess, what, three years ago. And Josh Naylor and Luke and Baker tied uh, on, on that Sunday. It was kind of a cool scene, not just Josh, but the, you had the, the whole Canadian contingent. Cal Quantrill and Mike Soroka came out and watched him take his first round, and they came back at the end after he won and congratulated him. There's a lot of Canadian pride, and they were talking about future uh, WBC teams. They might all be on together. Um, so that was kind of neat. And it was, all, it, was, it was the closest one I can remember, too. I mean, you had a number of guys within a couple of home runs at each other, and Elijah Cabell still thinks he hit 13 and not 12. He thought he had six in the first round. I thought he had six in the first round. And he thought he had an extra five seconds to work with late, too. He felt like he was kind of marred by controversy. And uh, I think there was even a video review hastily done to determine that he had five. Although, I had him with six. John Manuel from Baseball America had him with six. We had him at six, Yeah, actually, so I, I don't know what happened there. I don't, I don't, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll have to review that video further, but it wound up not mattering. It, it, it's a fun event. I mean, I, and I agree I mean, with you guys. I think having it a little bit later in the morning... The guys are you know, a little bit more alive, and everybody seemed pretty much into it. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, except Kevin Vargas probably had the fewest home runs of any of them, but everybody else was kind of all bunched together. Yeah, Naylor 15 total, Gorman 14, and then uh, Jared Kelnick had 13, but 10 of those came in round one. He was impressive. And, and listen to these names because we know from history that guys that, that are in this home run derby coming up the next June, Tristan Casas is another guy, are going to be very much alive in, in the draft uh, conversation. Just look at last year's home run derby here. Royce Lewis competed in the home run derby and Hunter Green competed as a hitter in the home run derby. Just the number one and two pick in the draft in June. Now definitely. I mean, they, they do a nice job, I think, of trying to get the best players here possible. You know, Joe Adele, who was the 10th overall pick, was also here uh, last year as well. And I think we're going to see a number of these guys go very high. I mean, I think Jared Kelnick's on the very short list of guys who are going to go at the top of the draft for now. I mean, he jumps out the most. You know, Tristan Cassis is, is a guy who's going to go very high. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw three first-rounders again next year as well. Speaking of Hunter Green, he is signed uh, with, the, with the Twins. They got it done right Phew. under the, uh, the wire, came down to the final. There's always a few guys that it comes right down to the end. You knew it would get done, and it got done in record fashion, $7.23 million. You did know it was going to get done, right, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, obviously, as the, the clock is ticking, you start to wonder, is something going to have gone horribly wrong, uh, you know, last minute? But, uh, you know, as Jim and I have talked about a lot with the, with the system they have in place, you're not going to go at that point uh, in the uh, – people are not cheering for my Hunter Green analysis, by the way. Ricky Henderson just left the, the yard – in the celebrity softball game, a, a leadoff homer. Ricky can still get that. it done. He's still anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, you knew it was going to happen, and they just they they waited uh, to the very last minute. They used the deadline uh, to their greatest advantage. Uh, you know, I think on the player side uh, to try to maximize the bonus, and and they and they did that. And uh, I think we were joking. Right? Brendan McKay had the record for uh, for bonus in the in the bonus pool era for about a half a minute yeah. or at least a week or whatever whatever it was and uh and then Hunter Green surpassed it uh by getting a, a you know a deal slightly above their pick value at number 2 overall. Another key wire guy I guess was Alex Lang. Was there any more drama around that with the Cubs? Yeah, that was that was the dramatic one because there was an issue that came up with his physical earlier in the week. You know, he took his physical late cuz he was at the College World Series pretty much to the toward the end of the previous week cuz LSU went to the finals. 
and it was dicey. I mean, that was the one I was monitoring the most closely as the deadline got closer. And there was some pessimism as to, about, as to whether that deal was going to get done. Um, ultimately, I, I don't know what the deciding factor is. He didn't get that much of a discount off a of slot. He signed for $1.925 million. The slot was 2.1 something. I, I think part of the factor may have been that they had a deal in place with their six-round pick, Jeremiah Estrada, a California high school pitcher, for a million dollars. And without Lang signing, because the Cubs always push their, their bonus pool 5% over, which is the maximum you can push it without losing a pick. You pay tax. If Lang hadn't signed, they would have been able to pay Estrada only around $900,000. And their fifth-round pick who got $400,000, he would have been affected as well. And I think it just came to the fact where even if they weren't necessarily totally comfortable with what the physical looked like, it wasn't just not signing Alex Lang. It might have cost you the other two guys. So they got him done at the end. That, that was really one. That was shades of Pedro Alvarez and Eric Hosmer from a few years ago in that it was deadlines at 5 p.m. Eastern. At 5.15, nobody knew for sure that Lang had signed. Now, I got word that Estrada had signed about then, and I tweeted out, you know, doing the math, if Estrada got a million dollars, then Lang had to get done or else numbers don't work. But it wasn't until about 5.20 that we knew Lang had signed and what he had signed for. There's always some guys in those top ten rounds that don't end up signing. Usually it's high school kids, obviously, that, that are going to head on to college there if they weren't going to get what they wanted. But uh, Tampa Bay, supplemental first rounder, Drew Rasmussen, Oregon State, but he still will come back in a year with leverage because he was an eligible sophomore. Somewhat. I Somewhat. mean, he's going to be a redshirt junior, and yeah. he's going to be nearly 23, and the Rays did not like the way his physical looked, and he's had Tommy John surgery already. So if you're talking about a guy who's almost 23 and there's some question about his health and he has health questions in the past, that affects his leverage as well. It'll, you know, it, it was interesting because initially, and I was wrong because I got bad information, I thought he was going to become a free agent because the Rays totally pulled their offer to him. He was part of this new MRI program that the top 50 pitchers have to go through, but he did not follow the procedure for being in the MRI program correctly, so the Rays did not have to make him an offer. But the, he, he'll likely go back to Oregon State. Um, that's really his only option now. But the interesting one is Jack Conlon, the Orioles' fourth-round pick. There was a physical issue that came up with him as well, and the Orioles pulled their offer to him. Instead of, if they offered him 40%, which he wouldn't have signed for, then he just goes to Texas A&M. But they've totally pulled their offer. And now he's an unrestricted free agent. And it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Again, there was a physical issue involved. Physicals with pitchers are often eye of the beholder. 30 teams, the Orioles are notoriously tough on physicals. It's possible the other teams won't be as tough. So this is actually something that I didn't totally understand. So he's an unrestricted free agent, so... Any signing of him won't go towards any, someone's bonus pool. See, it's that not was like TJ, like TJ Friedel. No, it's not. It's not like TJ Friedel because TJ Friedel was a non-drafted free agent, and the draft rules specifically say you count for the bonus pools. Now, when the Drew Rasmussen news first broke, and I thought he was going to be a free agent, that was my first question because the rule only says free agent. Does that mean free agent subject to bonus pools? What does that mean? Um, and then when the Jack Collin news broke, everything else was was happening. Oh, guys signing or not signing or whatever. And then shortly after. The deadline, I confirmed with MLB official that, yes, indeed, he would be an unrestricted free agent. So it'll be very you – know, he was going to sign – he was going to get a seven-figure bonus from the Orioles if he had passed his physical. So it'll be very interesting. You know, I mean, we're in an era where you're limited on what you can spend draft. You're limited on what you could spend internationally. And here's a guy that's kind of a free guy you can sign, and he doesn't account it's, – it's not like T.J. Friedel, who there was interest in because he was kind of a bonus guy. Not, not, he was an extra guy that you could sign, but, he, you know, because he was under the bonus pool rules – 
only a couple teams had the money to really be in play for him. I think it was two or three. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when we look at the signings and we look at the information, there are guys who get passed over in the draft and they sign, and those guys count, you know, anything over $125,000 now would count toward the bonus pool. So I, I didn't actually know the answer to that question. So. Good stuff. That's why we have Jim here because the uh, – the little nuts and bolts of the draft and the deadline and all this. Well, I didn't know the answer to the question either until after the deadline because it was, it was I don't nobody knew the question. I mean, the I taught, I'd, I'd seen the union earlier in the day said something to the effect that their interpretation was that he should be an unrestricted free agent, but they were not sure that MLB would share that interpretation. In which case, uh, you'd have to get to like some kind of third party to settle it. But I guess it it, it wasn't that you know MLB said yeah unrestricted. So interesting. The curious case is. Again, I mean, it's not, they weren't going to sign it, but if you're the Orioles, if they offered him 40%, which was like $160,000, and he wasn't going to come close to signing for that, then, he, then he's not a free agent. So I don't know why the Orioles just said, well, we're totally pulling the offer. Because now he could go somewhere else. Otherwise, they could have kept him from going to another team. Right, but I mean, not even preventative, but like, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess they figured we aren't going to stand in his way, but it was just, I, I had teams ask me that, like, well, why wouldn't the Orioles at least offer him 40%. And because he was a fourth-round pick and you don't get the fourth-round pick back as compensation if you don't sign the guy, there was no incentive for them to offer the 40%. All right, so uh, All-Star Sunday pretty much in the rearview mirror here in the Futures game. You guys turn your attention to the minor league All-Star games. I know Jim has the AAA game on his slate. Jonathan, do you tune in a little or are you uh, hibernating here after the Futures game? Since Jim is on the broadcast, I will be sure to watch the AAA All-Star <laughs> game. No, I like, I mean, it, the funny thing is, honestly, the AAA All-Star game often isn't uh, the most exciting from a prospect standpoint. Uh, it is can be interesting if you're not paying attention to see the, the guys. You're like, wait, they're still playing? You know, because AAA has a lot of those the veterans. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the other ones that, uh, that take place, the you know, the various AA leagues, uh, you know, uh, I think you have the Eastern League coming up. You know, th- those can often be really good. Sometimes you see players who are in the Futures game play in those games uh, as well. Uh, the, the trip to Tacoma, I think, will keep some of the AAA guys from the Futures game going there. It will not keep Jim Callis from getting there on time, though. Flight from Miami to Tacoma with a stop off in Chicago. Yeah, well, last year I, I said, little did I know, when I flew from San Diego to Charlotte all in one day, that boy, it's got to be about as long a trip as you have to take to go from the Futures game to the AAA All-Star game. Little did I know I'd be going from Miami to Tacoma, although I am going to stop home for less than 24 hours in between. And you're right. I mean, I suspect that's why Yohan Mankata, who originally was on their National League roster, will not be in Tacoma. We're supposed to get Derek Fisher and Alex Verdugo. Those are two of the guys we're supposed to get. Uh, Carson Kelly, who is right there with Francisco Mejia, is the best catching prospect in baseball, will be in Tacoma. Uh, the you know Willie Adamas is a guy who very easily could have been in the Futures game. He's that talented. He'll be on the IL squad. But uh, you get kind of like as Jonathan alluded to, that that interesting mix of guys who are on their way up and guys who've been around for a while. Like last year, Jesus Montero tied the all-time record with his fourth AAA All-Star game appearance. And Jesus did not necessarily put out full effort running out some ground balls during the game, which was not necessarily a shock to anybody. Right, which is something that maybe he's known for a little bit. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.